Welcome to Live Sense 8. I'm Sheila Applegate. I'm Zach Hansen. And I'm Martin Earhart. In this podcast, we dive into the concepts of consciousness and other interesting trivia in the Netflix original series Sense 8. We're doing an episode by episode exploration of how we can live a Sense 8 life. We'll also be adding some special interviews along the way. This episode of the Live Sensei podcast is brought to you by our sponsors, Denise Natitian, Teresa Hallinan, and Divine, Divine Phoenix Books, books with a purpose for a positive change. All right, let's look at what's going on in the world of Sensei right now. The most exciting thing happening here today is that we have Martin Earhart in the studio with us. Hello, Martin. Hello. What's up? You're here. <laughs> we are here. Live. Live. We are in person with each other. He's experiencing snow for the first time, which is very exciting. So Martin's going to be recording another episode with us, but we needed to bring him in and say hello to you all here today and participate in our What's Going On segment. So what is going on, aside from Martin being here? We have the official Netflix Sense8 Twitter account has shown up and started to work with the fans. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Yeah, we're very excited with the fans. We want to know what is going on. Exactly. What's going on? Just right. <laughs> so they seem like they're interested in working with us and they set up a email account for us to write to them, right? Yeah, that's Global Cluster at netflix.com which is awesome so people can if you guys be nice because sensates are nice right <laughs> but let's send them some mail and tell them how important the show is to us and give them ideas about how to support it and that we're here yeah and how it's so important for us right and you've been in dialogue with them a bit right yeah we are going to move forward to that awesome maybe we can support each other perfect Perfect. That's what it's all about. All right. So let's see what else is going on. There's some students at the information and communication department of Bordeaux Montaigne University in France, and they're studying TV show fans. And of course, they wanted to check on Sense8 because we are some of the most original TV show fans around there, creative. Um, and cohesive. So they have a survey out for Sensate fans, and we are linking that survey or putting the survey link up at our Twitter account at live underscore Sensate. And you can also find it uh, in this episode's write up on livesensate.com. There is also a screening of the special that's coming up, and the word on the streets is it's awesome, but we knew it would be, right? But that's good. That means that some of the first people to get exposed to it in the media like it, and that's wonderful. And, of course, um, coming up very soon is 
the Global Meditation on March 20th. Join us live at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you miss it live, the replay link will be available for you to listen to for as long as you want. Let's send some sensate love out into the world. And let's see, let's finish this up with hearing a little bit of an update from you, Martin, on the documentary. Are you still taking submissions and how do people send to you? Yeah, we're seeing accepting videos and their stories to come into our mail, which is sensate without borders at gmail.com. Awesome. And they can make either a video clip or a write-up about we really were focusing on how Sense8 has affected their life, yeah. right? So how was the impact on their life? The impact of Sense8 on your life. So get out your cell phones or your keyboard and give Martin a little insight into a window into the impact that Sense8 has had on your life. I know it's affected mine a little bit. What about you, Zach? Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> we are just experienced as sensitive. Exactly. We have coming together here. We would not be sitting here with Martin without Sense8, which is pretty amazing because we really are having an awesome time together. It is. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. Let's get on with the show. Let's talk about episode six in season one demon it was directed by lana and lily wachowski it was created and written by the 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 skis company man i keep doing that it's my little personal joke yikes the unpronounceable the unpronounceable (laughs) productions hooray i made it through we're gonna keep that and it was uh that's lana and lily wachowski and michael j straczynski we have our team our super our super team of Will and Riley, they try out a phone call together, like like a real phone call, text messages and, and talking and stuff. Yeah, before I had asked um, why they hadn't tried out a phone yet. So now they finally do, and um, now we know why. <laughs> There's reverb. Yeah. It reminded me a little bit of when um, my friend Daryl from England, um, when, you know, we... We became friends before email, but when email started, it was still too slow for us, so we just didn't use it. <laughs> yep, didn't need it. Snail mail, email, the new email, snail mail. So we, then Riley, she totally gets almost executed by a drug dealer in this one, gets suffocated, and Will helps her out. Yeah, and we see something following up your kind of premonition from a few weeks ago, too. With Riley yep. in this episode. Yep. This this premonition was... Premonition. Brought- <laughs> you did see it before. <laughs> right. This premonition was brought to us in episode three, <laughs> where Leto is shooting a scene, and he stops, and he's he's talking to the director, and he's like, hey, my character should know this. I know this. I want to reshoot the scene. I know that I'm going to be betrayed, and here it is. Yeah, so when we were dialoguing about that, you were saying, is this, because um, Riley's walking up the stairs mm-hmm. into Shug's and Bambi's place. Yep. And and you were saying, do they betray her? And we couldn't remember. And we try not to, 
Like we, I've watched it a few times, but I try to stick to just the episode for you guys. So we didn't look ahead and now we see it. Yep. It was there. She is going to betray you is what Leto said as he was walking up the stairs as Riley. And then Riley goes, is shot back into the director scene. And the director says, you you only have you, the only way you can go is to walk through the store. Yes. And so Riley then you walks, have no place else to go. Right. And, and then, she really didn't. Right. And so then Riley walks through that door and then she does be she does. She's betrayed. Now, it doesn't right now. See, I don't remember a lot about the show. So right now we don't know who betrayed her other than the and we couple. don't ever go back to them oh, okay. in, unless in the finale but, or yeah. the so anyway, special. So yeah. Riley was betrayed and she almost got choked out forever. And then we have son publicly takes responsibility for her father's and brother's grave mistakes. Yeah. And, and then there's the court scene and she's not allowed bail because the money is still missing. So they're standing in the courtroom watching her go to jail, knowing that they have the money. I mean, I'm sure he, Spent a lot because we see him extravagantly spending, but still. Right. Well, it sounded like it was thirty billion of whatever their currency is. I know that's not thirty billion U.S. dollars, but that sounds like a lot of money that's just gone. It seems like. <laughs> right. So she could like disappear with a new identity and maybe move to a different planet with that much money if she wanted to. So they didn't let her have bail. Right. But we also know that her brother and father just stand there and say okay, and they keep the money. Yep, that's part of the deal. Yep. Well, yeah. Then we have Nomi and Amanita. They go back to their old apartment, and it is trashed. And Nomi finds out that they even took her journal, so she feels very personally violated. Yeah, and that's a turning point for Nomi, where we go from the victim to the action mode. She kicks in, like, that's it. I think um, Amanita even says, oh, this shit just got real. Because now, Nomi, we see that other side of Nomi that's like, okay, I'm done wallowing in this experience. Let's get our action going. And she calls her people. You can only push a man or a woman so far. Right. Before they need to do something to take care of themselves. Yeah, and you know... um, Anger, a lot of us try to avoid anger, but anger is a good motivator for action. And it is a long time ago, my friend Daphne Rose Kingma was talking about that. Like, I'm so angry that, like, how do you use your anger to put passion into motion? So that's awesome. We see Nomi doing that. I, that's a that's a tricky thing for me personally too. Is how to be angry productively. <laughs> how can I rage out on these things and do it in a positive, productive manner? Right, and I think without a lot of destroying myself in the process or those around me. Yeah, we kind of got into that last week. It's in the um, the special section for the patron, but uh, with Maximilian. We kind of talked about with politics and stuff mm-hmm. and anger and, and how do we bring love into all of that and still take action. Yeah. Now we have Lido, Hernando, and Daniela at a wrestling match. Which is, you know, loud and strange. But my favorite part, well, no, we're going to go over this scene because it's so important. But one of the things I want to say before we dive deeper in is... Um, Hernando says something about he loves all art 
and um, the wrestling being like a dance. And to me, I was like, my God, that line, so tiny, in a mixed in with what we're going to talk about is so deep. But uh-huh. that in itself is so deep, too, because, I mean, at least here in the U.S., or my my exposure to that um, producting, production style wrestling is that it's kind of considered kitscher. It's not, you know, there's a snobbiness that that wouldn't be a real art. But Hernandez can just show up and see the brilliance in anything. Yeah. Which is it's, awesome. It, yeah, it's props to him because I couldn't do that. <laughs> and then we have Kala waking up after the wedding faint. And she finds a, a Wolfgang in her bedroom. <laughs> well, first she wakes up to the whole family, and that's a little freaky. And, you know, like that wedding had to have been the, day before, the night before, right? right? And I think, and yeah, I, I think so. And, and she's like, what, she got like carried over? That's just a bizarre thing. But the freakiness of waking up to her whole family watching her all night long. <laughs> Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> Loving. Weird. <laughs> I'd have to be out if somebody was going to stand over me all night. Like well, multiple people out. like out, out. She, instead of not wake. I don't know how she did it. I'm such a light sleeper. But anyway, so that happened. And then, yeah, she goes to her closet to get dressed and go down and see Raja. But um, she pulls out Wolfgang's boxers instead, I think. And then says gross and drops them on the floor. <laughs> And then we have some Wolfgang conversation with Kala and swimming. Yeah, he doesn't do too much of a swimming. He's yeah. not in this a whole lot. He's not. He's just gonna... This swimming, though, pay attention to Wolfgang in water. That is significant. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a he's deep a character. He's a conduit. He's a huge conduit. He's deep. Deep like the ocean, this Wolfgang mm-hmm. is. Or the pool. Yeah, you know. <laughs> the deep end. <laughs> And then we have the first sensate energetic orgy. Yeah. And I think, yeah, of course, we're going to talk about that a little bit. And, you know, writing up what we were going to talk about today, I even, I don't, and I, and I know it's my feeling about the word orgy, but I'm like, oh, that just reduces it to call it. I mean, I've heard a lot of people call it an orgy and it is what it is. Um, that is the correct name for it. But I think it's gotten so decreased. Right. I think that's what we need to talk about today, too, yeah, right? Is it the is, are orgies dirty and disgusting, or is our human connotations of what we think about that dirty and disgusting? Do you see what I'm saying? Because we're, yeah. we're going to flip, we're going to flip these things around today. And that's probably part of that. I'm and, not saying they are, or they are not. Right. No, I know. And that's what I was saying, thinking when I was calling. I mean, I know people have been calling them that. And that's true. And we're also going to talk about whether that would be in physical, like reaching that state, or here, not everybody's there physically, too. So it, we don't really have a word for that, right? We Not that, to my knowledge. If if that's the word, then we have orgies all the time. <laughs> Maybe in some, like, sacred tantric book I'm not familiar with or something, there might be a word for it. Yeah. So. Ancient language. <laughs> Anyway, we're going to dive, obviously, into that a little bit as we go on. So, where to start? I think I'm going crazy. You think you're going crazy? No. <laughs> I think I'm gaining sanity, actually. But a lot of the characters, that is one of the themes that kind of seems to run through this. is, 
and that's happened before we've had this conversation, but we see the characters now trying, I mean, this is, this is here, right? In the beginning, when Will said that to Jonas, it was really new, but now time has passed and this is still happening to everyone. And they're all still, so it's here to stay. And now we have a deeper exploration from the characters of, is this real? What's real? Am I going crazy? Where are the boundaries? Do I have any privacy? Do, can I, do I have any right to control this? Like all this stuff is coming up and it's so important because this is live sense eight, right? This is about what happens in real life. And this is a common theme when I help people to open up to their deeper senses and consciousness. And um, it's what religions and society has invoked fear around, right? Because we have to move, we've been told this stuff is crazy, so we have to move through that in order to reach our natural state. And we see it in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways is that conversation we talked about with Will and Riley. They they do call each other because they're saying, are we going crazy, right? And that's their way of getting evidence. So that's something. Like, we do need mm -hmm. to look for evidence when evidence is, evidence is what we want it. And sometimes people will say, oh, I can never, you know, there's no evidence, there's no evidence. But, um when we assume there's evidence, we can let it happen or we can practice things. So they have yeah, just being open to the possibility of evidence. Like that would be assuming that there's something going to be showing up in my experience. That's going to reinforce these concepts that I am thinking about or experiencing. Yeah. It's that allowing it to happen. Um, I think Jonas said just allow it to happen. Allow it to happen. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's me, Jonas, with hardly a little dark side. Um, yeah, I'm thinking about early on when I started doing readings and someone came to my house and she said she wanted a reading, but no matter what I said, she's like, you could have made that up. You could have figured this out. You could have. And the guide said, tell her to leave. Tell her there's nothing you can say. Um, that's going to change your mind right now because she wanted evidence, but she didn't really want evidence, right? So she left, and five years later, she told me, there's nothing else you could, everything you said came true, and there's nothing else you could have done that day that would have got my attention other than telling me to leave or that would have made me believe. So it's that attitude, right? Like you have, these guys do have a little bit of a willingness to believe, but they're, they're needing reassurance right now. And maybe that's the different word between evidence is reassurance. Yeah, reassurance is uh, it's important. I think so. Very yeah. important re reassurance. Um, yeah. And I think when we allow um, it to happen, we get the reassurance all the time. So here, this happened in a pretty cool way. He gives her the phone number and she calls and then they get... Um, his partner, Diago, to answer the phone, and mm -hmm. he hears her. And that's a funny scene. Yeah, it is. It's sweet. <laughs> it's it is sweet. sweet. I can just say I would have been geeking out hardcore 
they, I'm not saying they did a bad job. Maybe they've personally never had these experiences. I don't know. Maybe they have. But I would have been geeking out like crazy, like, oh my God, this worked. Okay, I can actually give you a real life thing about you might not. <laughs> it's weird, but here's this new story. You haven't, I mean, I've told you the story where the person called me out of the blue, but I had a dead person call me. And that's pretty freaky. And and (laughs) you'd think I would be all excited and telling everyone and, and like this might be the first time I'm saying this public and it happened years and years ago. So we all know that my twin flame died years ago. And within that same first year, he asked, he came, he came into my dream and we've talked about how the short, glimpses and dreams because I would remember he was dead. So there's one dream one morning he's saying, um, I got to get more, um, wow. He used to have those pay phone, like the phone you put on more minutes. I got to get more minutes from my phone back in the day. (laughs) We put more minutes on our phone, right? He's like, I got to get more minutes from my phone in the dream common thing with him when he was alive because that's how his phone was working and um and interestingly this is might get long but i think it's interesting so we're going to go with it so when he was killed he was hit by a car he had his phone on him he had no minutes because i knew because i was paying his phone bill and he was out of minutes and we were changing something so and when he went that night he took his phone and i said why are you taking your phone when you have no minutes he called his dad and said goodbye that night before he was killed from the phone that had no minutes on it. Then he was killed and by a car, and the entire area was searched. His phone was never found. So that's the background. So then not too long later, I get this dream, and he says, I need minutes for my phone. And then I'm like remembering, he said, I'm like, oh, right, but your dad, he's like, Sheila. And that's how we used to say it, <laughs> Sheila. I said, I'm getting minutes for my phone. <laughs> like, okay. So that's the dream. I wake up in the morning and it's only a few minutes later I wake up and I get up. I'm the only one home. Or no, the kids were upstairs. And I walked by my landline phone and it rang and it was like 6.30 in the morning. And it had an unknown caller on it. I don't answer my phone at 6.30 in the morning. Like, I just don't, like, I didn't do that. Like, that's my work line. So I, but I picked it up. And it's someone with his accent. He has a very specific native accent. And uh, and he's like, what you doing? And I'm like, and there's rattling. So every time I said, who is it? The phone would rattle. Who is this? The phone would rattle. Well, it sounded just like him, but I'm, not processing that it would be him at this point. And then I'm feeling a presence in the room to the point where I'm like freaking out. It's early in the morning. I feel like somebody's in my house and this guy's voice on the other side that does sound like my twin is talking to me. And um, I hung up on him. I had someone call me from beyond and I hung up on him. And even after hanging up on him, I didn't realize it was him until my kids woke up. Little at that age. They were little. And I told him the story, which why would a mom tell them the story when there was still the creepy feeling, like uneasy feeling? 
But I tell him the story, and my son looks at me, he's like, Mom, it was Tom. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I know that's a long tangent, but I'm telling you, when you get that way, you're in like this surreal way. Sure. I I just know how I react to these kind of things. And you would be and all I get excited. Super giddy okay. and laugh a lot and like hysterical. See, I went inward. I just went in with like uh and then I didn't tell anyone about my kids for a while. Then I told my close friends. <laughs> and then like I said, I may have told it in a couple stories when I was teaching, but I'm not like well, another thing too is, you know, you're talking about somebody who's deceased and these two people are well, That's alive. true. That is true. So that would be an easier thing right. to it say. Is yeah. Different. Yeah. And Diego did know what was going on. So they could have, but I'm just saying sometimes it's like you're in that zone and it feels so natural and so weird at the same time. That's what I'm really saying. And mm. in that zone, yeah, I think I would react a little more. And you got evidence that but yeah. I agree. After that long tangent, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's all relative. It's all relative. <laughs> and the more we, like right now, if those things, experience, if I had those experiences, I just I might be like, meh, it's every day. It's like, yeah. it's like synchronicity. Synchronicity happens all the time in my life. Like it's like an everyday occurrence. So although I am grateful for it, I'm so used to having everything just synchronistically work that it's my norm. Right. And I think that's a piece too, because think about it, like they are a little bit into this. They're still questioning if they're crazy, but like Will's already been bouncing in Jonas's car. He got, you know, he was found by mm -hmm. the person the feds were looking for. He spoke a different language. I mean, he's getting a little used to this shit, right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> All right, let's go on. Who else did we not cover? So Sun... She's walking into the office in the morning. Yeah. And Nomi shows up. Right. And Sun's like, mm, I'm just going to not look at you <laughs> and keep walking. Yeah. So now this is a good example of Sun's the one that like teaches them control. You know, going back to when she talks to Caffius. And she's like, I choose to believe you're a hallucination if you're okay with that. <laughs> Something to that effect. You're right. She just keeps her wits about her. She keeps control over this. You know, back when the chicken lands on her desk, she just throws it off. <laughs> Nomi's there. She's like, I got shit to do. I'm just going to look away and you're going to disappear. But I think that it helped Nomi, too, to realize she could control it. Because when Nomi uh, gets bounced, in a way, like Nomi's in that in the office, son, they're looking at each other, son looks away, Nomi may have been able to pick up on the fact that there's some control about it. But then, yeah, later on, Sun kind of comes around and she reaches out to Riley. And when she reaches out to Riley, she takes it a little bit further and she feels safe, I guess, to explore it. Yeah, it's almost like the more they interact with each other, the more they're learning from each other on how this works. And interestingly, when she starts to feel safe, she... Is in jail already, right? And that's when she goes yeah. to Riley. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, she probably needed, felt like she couldn't let any interference in until she had made the decision and was. So interestingly enough, and then in the in the scene, Riley says to her, "You're safer there," and that is when when Sun starts opening to things. Yeah. So, and we see it. Where else do we see it in here? 
the blocking or the the consciously choosing? Well, we're looking at what what are some of the, I'm going crazy, learning to, I mean, I think this is all about them learning to control the gifts, right? Oh, privacy is another theme. Like if we're going to be in the bound, like are there boundaries in here? And can we control it? And know me has some really good lines about this too that I, I kind of held on to. Yeah. You want to go over those now or yeah. later? Yeah. No, no. It's good. <laughs> All right. Hey guys, should we do this with you now or should we do this later? <laughs> let's do it now, Zach. Let's, All right. just, let's just do a whole podcast right now. Excellent. <laughs> All right. So know me um, is... She's kind of trying to figure this all out. And she says that she's wondering, can I stop it? And then she says, is it like ADD that I can control with medication? Or is it more like Alzheimer's that is progressive where my sense of meanness slowly and inevitably denigrates? So that wasn't an exact quote. That's mixed between a quote and a summary. But I've had a lot of... Um, well, we know my mom and dad, my dad has Alzheimer's, my mom has dementia, so I'm watching that with them. But even with my clients, I've worked with a lot of people who came for readings based on, you know, about their loved one who had Alzheimer's and how to deal with that. And so I was able to connect with a lot of people who have Alzheimer's. And I think they really now that, like, Alzheimer's, from what I've seen, is a letting go of that ego self, that identity of meanness, which to me is another um, example of an ego in a sense. And so, and why we need an, uh, an awesome ego instead of to just get rid of our ego, right? Like a lot of the, the themes today are get rid of your ego, but that's getting rid of your meanness and nobody wants to do that. Right, because I'm a me and I'm also a we. right. It's both. So Alzheimer's definitely, I see people there, when people that we see experiencing Alzheimer's, they're experiencing timelessness, they're floating beyond time, their their attachment to their physical world identity and personality in this lifetime is dissolving. And um, that actually is helping some people cross over. It's interesting lately I've had multi I actually went to a doctor and um both the nurse and the doctor had experienced um someone with Alzheimer's and when I mentioned in my history that my dad had it, they both said something to the fact of that's a really difficult disease. And it is when you think of it just physically, but when you realize they're moving into oneness, it's really quite beautiful. Because it is at the end of their life. I mean it does shorten the life, I guess, if we think of it as a disease. But um, there's something quite beautiful about that. And ADD is on the other end of the spectrum. We've got young kids coming in. And I always say ADD is my superpower, right? It's that ability to multitask that's so important. And it doesn't need to be controlled by medication. It needs to be learned in both of these. So she's giving us like, is it something I can control? Both of these, her mind of it, it's something outside of me still. She's still thinking of it as like a disease. But I think we can embrace it, whether it's ADD, that we're learning to put our attention on multiple things. So they're actually quite similar. 
Because ADD is being able to put your attention on a lot of things at one time. And basically in Consciously Awesome with my conscious meditation technique, that's exactly what I'm teaching people to do, to stretch your brain so that you can actually consciously be aware of multiple realms at the same time. And ADD is we're watching people come in with that ability now because we're evolving as humans, whether we know it or not. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, Nomi is still trying to figure out how to figure out those boundaries, how to control it, if there is boundaries, because that's where we're talking. Like you talked a lot about privacy, mm-hmm. right? And and there aren't boundaries. It, the meanness goes away. Um, well, what I think they're trying to portray a little bit through this show is unity consciousness. Yes. And unity consciousness, a lot of people from, this is just my perspective. A lot of people can be afraid of unity consciousness because they're like, Oh, where am I going to go? Exactly. And that's like one, like in oneness we hear a lot in my circles is like the same thing to me. Right. So for me and my personal experience of unity consciousness the the best picture I could paint is well I'll I'll do one with Sense Eight first. They're 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 moving in and out of each other's consciousness, so they do become one, but they are also a me. They're also a me. They're also a me. I like right. That. So they they go back and forth at will. So when they join in with each other, they don't lose themselves. They are expanding their idea of self their self becomes these seven other selves right so their their talents their skills their languages their belief system their experiences all of that is still there and they get to tap into the rest so my personal experience of unity consciousness and what the 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 higher understanding of that would be is that you don't disappear you have free will still in unity consciousness and you can move in and out of it as you will yeah, I absolutely agree. And and the way I teach that is like um, horizontal oneness, right? That's, we know kind of, like we talk a lot about oneness in our union with the divine, whatever our language is, and, and being connected to all that is as an energy field. But when horizontal oneness comes in, that's like, all right, you're over there and you're me, but you have your own personality, your own free will. And do we agree or disagree? Um, am I okay with this? And for me, um, the twin flame vibration is that closest aspect of it. And that's what the twin flame vibration is about, the twin flame relationship. And I know I'm using different language than Sensei, but... Um, it's like the closest. So in Sense8, I would say there's a chance, if we were going to compare that, let's say Wolfgang and um, Kala, maybe Riley and Will are maybe twin flames within. Do you want to elaborate on what a twin flame is? <laughs> yeah, that's a like a whole more? other. It is. That Can might just... have to be like a, a bonus class where I talk about that. But in the meantime. Just a, just a little tiny bit yeah, of what that is. Yeah. Um, what you mean by twin flame? So for me, that would be that closest sensate experience in the in the human form. So for me, um, it's like that last piece of oneness that we expanded from before our own personal identity. So when 
you come across that person in the physical world, it is whether you are thinking this way or not. And I work with a lot of people that weren't thinking this way. I wasn't thinking this way when it happened. And you're like, what the heck is this? Really, that's not what you say. <laughs> Something similar. I'm being sweet in my language. Um, so, but like that's what that vibration is. So when I talk about my beloved or my twin flame, it's not about a form of relationship on earth. It's about this soul connection that can be in any form as far as what type of relationship you have. But you can't escape it. And it freaks people out. And I think that's a little bit what's going on with them too. Like they're in your head. They're, you're just, you know them and, and you, and they know you. So you can't hide from your shadows at all. Like you can't, you, you certainly couldn't lie, but you can't even lie to yourself because they're going to see it. Yeah. I think we're going to talk a little bit about that here soon. In the dialogue. That, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, yeah, that's what I mean by that. So, it's kind of like, I, I'm, a, I'm a pictures kind of guy. So, if I was in a soul factory, so to speak, <laughs> yes. and, and there's this there's this soul that's poured into this mold, it's like the same, if there's this liquid that's poured into a mold, it's the, the, the mold that I was poured into has the same liquid as the next portion was poured into, so to speak. So, it's like of the same... The same liquid in the same mold. It's, they're in the same batch, basically. Right. And so they have this closeness or entanglement that somebody from a different batch or a, a liquid from a different patch wouldn't have. That's I'm just, you know, trying to paint a picture for myself. <laughs> that works. All right. Um, but you could look very, the mold I'm, could I'm be trying different. trying to make it really simple. <laughs> the mold could look very different, but, but the, the substance in it. Yeah. the same. Yeah. Right? That's what I was yeah. getting at with it. Sure, but the, the point that I was going to make with this is that that is like, when you come upon that in the physical world, you're faced with it. You have no... You can't escape it. Even if you like separate and say, we're never going to talk again, it's it's activated and you have to deal with that. How do I stay me and we at the same time? And I feel like that's what some of these people are doing and dealing with. Like to me, and I don't think it has to be one other person, but I think we notice it in that way in the earth. That's how I've seen it. But if we take it to that group, I mean, I think so. Sometimes people think, oh, this is my twin flame until the person shows up and like, whoa, this is more. But there's a, a group of people around and that's what these guys are experiencing. So in their connectedness, it's like, how do I have boundaries? And then, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Right, yeah. Um, thinking of it more simplistically, even too, um, let's take this whole deep soul connectedness theory away People come to me, um, the readings or something, they're looking at me and they're they're actually freaked out by the idea that a dead person can watch them all the time. And they're like, well, do they see me having sex? Do they see me, you know, like getting dressed? Like, are they just peeping on me all the time? <laughs> yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> it's like, it's really not like that. They're not as fascinated with the human body as we tend to be. Uh, I mean, they might be in awe of it, but they probably see us more in the colors and the lights and the soul or whatever. They are in timelessness. I don't know how much of that they're going to spend on watching us get dressed. But that's, 
kind of where Kala is when she's trying to get dressed. She's feeling invaded in that mm-hmm. same way that sometimes we think about. Like, well, wait a second. If I let dead people be near me, does that mean they're going to hear me and watch everything? It's like, well, actually, they can. <laughs> anyway, so you might as well chat with them. And you, you're pretty highly sought after, right, with helping people through twin flame relationships in the work that you do. Well, that was a bounce. <laughs> it was. I just wanted to throw that out there. I love you, Zach. You're such a sweetheart. Yeah, that has been... Um, there's not too many... To, to my exposure, there's not too many twin flame expert or master teachers out there. And it's a service that you offer. So I just thought people might want to know about that. Yeah, that's true. I spent a lot of my career... I haven't been talking about it, focusing on it that much in the last few years, just because I've been focusing on something else. But... um throughout my career, having lived the experience, having learned it, seen it. um, I attracted a lot of clients that work or that are dealing with that because I could understand it. There's a lot of things out there that I don't believe. Um, The people, they're not terribly bad maybe, but I'm like, I don't know if they're actually know what a twin is or there's just a lot of misconceptions about it. So I I have been kind of... um, strong about trying to get the truth out about it yeah and i have a, I do have an affinity towards that for sure because i know you know it so well i know it on earth and i know what happens when you um have to change the form and i so i know it in spirit and on earth yeah great thanks for sharing that with us <laughs> you're welcome now i'll get us back on track so this is just totally off topic. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to get us back on track. <laughs> well, I am. Like, uh, off topic. <laughs> it's still part of the sense So I just wanted to bring this up real. I thought it was interesting that when Sun and Riley are talking during the sunset and they're mm-hmm. sharing some marijuana that... Hash. <laughs> oh, hash. Sorry. <laughs> it's concentra- concentrated stuff. Anyway, that she brings up, indig- like, there's small people in Iceland and that... I just thought I would just want to bring that up real quick. There's a lot of indigenous people who believe in small magical people. And she brought that up in the show. Doesn't I just thought everybody that everybody believe in there's a lot of children that believe in small is. magical people too. Hmm. That made it into the show even. I just thought it was cool. Yeah. It is. And and there's different names, different traditions, but um I think it should be looked at in our mind if we want to contemplate why all around the world there are these stories about right. the little people. Yeah. Specifically in the indigenous culture too, right? Compared to like modern day culture. Not to say that oh, modern day people modern, don't yeah. believe because some of us do, but indigenous people have certain stories that and belief systems that are common amongst them all, like the creation story and little people. And, and such. So anyway, I just thought it was uh, it was so subtle, but it was something of note, I thought. It is of note. All right. Let's talk about demons, shall we? Well, yeah, the show title is Demon. I know right. we said it at the beginning, but let's remember that this, we know now that well, the show title directs us to very pivotal parts in the episode. So, yes, demon. this would be it. <sighs> You have already ruined my life. I didn't ruin anything. You didn't want to marry that guy. That is not for you to say. Maybe not, but you wanted me to say it. 
You don't know what I want. Don't I? No. Okay, I don't know what is going on here. If, if I'm totally losing my mind. <laughs> or if one of the gods or goddesses is angry with me and has sent a demon. A dangerous pervert demon who never seems to have any clothes on. <laughs> Germans are not so uptight about nudity. Yeah. Mm. This is not about nudity, okay? This is, this is about decency. It is about privacy. If you were so concerned with privacy and decency, why did you look? I did not. Yes, you did. You looked then and you're looking now. I'm not. Listen, I don't know what's happening to us either, but I do know that from the moment I first saw you, I wanted you. Somehow I feel that you want me to. Oh my god. You are a demon. <laughs> he is a demon. Did I, it was funny. I just looked at it again and he's a demon from Germany. Like that doesn't even like cross her mind like, "Oh." <laughs> so but God sent a demon. The gods it, from, the from Germany, obviously, cuz they don't mind being naked. Like they didn't even <laughs> <laughs> and she did look. Yeah, she. Did. We all looked, which is an interesting um, thing because when she's talking to Raja, um, he after she wakes up after this, she talks to her uh, fiance Raja, and he he's saying he liked that she fainted because um, it makes their wedding special, and he could tell the the children their children that she took one look at him and fainted or at their father and fainted. And it's like, Ooh, who's the father hey, going to be? Who's, who's your daddy? <laughs> <All right. laughs> but really we're going on a deeper angle with this demon sexuality, right? Mm -hmm. Isn't demon that demon sexuality? Demon sexuality. All right. Is that a website? Probably. <laughs> um, so, ah, uh, this, this is very tricksy, this one. I think as a culture, not all of us, but there's a lot of cultures out there and stuff that really put too much shame on the body and what we're natural, what we, we naturally are. And we associate demons with sexuality and that perverts and prevents and denies us of our real nature. And I think that causes a lot of problems for society and people with guilt and shame surrounded by sexuality. There's a reason why religions and society demonize sexuality. What's that reason, Sheila? <laughs> because sexual energy is the, I say most primitive, meaning the most, most earthly reflection of creative energy. And creation energy in its purest form. So when we are open to our own sexual energy, aligned with our bodies, open to our spirits in the creative zone, we're all powerful and we can create a world that we want. And you can't suppress a person who can create the world that they want. So if we cut it right at the baseline, that the most primitive thing that you can't control, right? That's the springboard for creative cre creativity. Everybody has it. Like the, the race can't continue. Humanity can't continue 
the species can't continue without propagating through sex. Well, now we probably can. But anyway, <laughs> um, so by cutting it at the most primitive or, or uh, when I say primitive, I mean like the densest frequency vibration, not bad, not good. There is, it's all, it's the whole spectrum that's a miracle. But yeah, so we're cutting it there. And to think the confusion of her, because she's thinking she's following her religion, right? But if God's punish you for your basic instinct, if God's punish you for love or what a desire. terrible existence. Yeah. I mean, you're always in fear, you know, so mm-hmm. you, you can't, you know, contrast to Jonas who says, you know, listen to your own intuition, no matter what people tell you, when you've got this dichotomy of, you know, death is a punishment, but living is hard and you get rewarded when you die, but don't try not to die, you know, and um, communicate with your gods, but don't trust them because if you don't be, if you can't control even your most natural instinct, you'll be punished by him. I mean, it's just this talk about am I going crazy? They're coming out right. of crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And this is setting up, um, you know, we've already talked about that by the end, or it's not even in the end, it's in the middle, but this is our first sexual orgy that we're going to go into create a creation orgy. I don't know what we're going to call it, but, but I think it's also calling out the the viewers too. like, get ready. We're going to challenge you too. For what do you believe? How are you related to sexual energy? Cause they do challenge people here. Yeah. They challenge a lot of people. I, I mean, say. I guess they channel challenged people right from the beginning by showing couples that most people wouldn't necessarily be exposed to. And we're, you know, we're looking at um, sex in a different way. Right from the beginning, they've been dealing with the visualization of sex combined with love in such a beautiful way and showing it when it's not. Right. They've done both. And Kala's, she's, she's having some problems. And this is what, you know, she wants Wolfgang a lot. And she's never probably felt that way before. Um I don't think right, and now that he's there saying, "Hey, I'm here, and I want you too," and she still denies him because there's this inner struggle within her. <laughs> well, also he's in Germany, <laughs> right? But you know, energetically speaking, know, you never know what teasing. could happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it does, but yeah, she, right. She doesn't deny him for long, but um, yeah. So she's trying to do what's right, and and because, but this is the other thing people do. We this is the way we're trained to do it. You find the right person that fits all these exterior. You create the marriage. You create the form that is going to provide for you and look really good. And then suddenly the the desire and the love and the sex becomes um, godly okay. Right. or okay, godly, good. Um, but really, when we want divine relationships, it starts in those frequencies. Like... When I train, when I work with people about finding their soulmate or being in divine relationships, I'm, I'm working with them. I'm, I'm teaching them to connect first through spirit and then let the person come to them. Or if you're in relationship, like with a twin flame, if they're right in front of you, you still have to go spirit down. So you see the two opposites right here in this scene. I'm a big proponent of we don't give our bodies enough honoring and acceptance. And here 
is another lay. I'll, I'll get into this more, but she twists herself in knots. Mm-hmm. And if you can't trust your own body, how can you trust your own mind? Right. So true. at a young age, we're taught, some of us, I'll, I'll say that, are taught to um, feel guilt or shame over what our bodies naturally are attracted to or want to do when it comes to sexuality and other things. And this this isn't even including, so this is for straight people and it's also for gay people and trans like it gets even worse the farther you get out from straight as it's, far as the rules as and far the, as, the as like how and, exactly so yeah it, it gets exponential but we all can have that experience but if you can't trust your own body what it's telling you to do in your own heart like so your body when you are attracted to somebody and you know they're attracted to you. I'm sure we've all had those experiences, but there's just like, and, and maybe you can't do anything or whatever, you know, you can't fulfill that. Then you start to shut down. Something's wrong inside of your body that you can't listen to anymore, whether that's your heart or your mind or your body. Instead of them all working together, we kind of shut one of them off at a time, right? right? And so this isn't, not only are we as young people learning to lose our imag- imagination as we're schooled, now we're taught that our bodies are wrong. So we have a lot of um, correcting to do within ourselves as we grow up and realize, oh, man, the world around me is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> what? Why don't I have anybody to teach me this stuff? Because, you know, some people don't have somebody wise around them and they have to figure it out the hard way and go through those hardships. And then, you know, their life could be halfway over before they open up to their own sexual nature and creativity like this this all goes together yeah like they'll the, suppress your creativity right um if you're suppressing that uh that's kind of creating the gray world around us right the the passion the creativity um the ability to create the life you want all of that you yeah, know the, it gets stepped on does so many perversions happen from this i think and perversions in sexuality but perversions of self-esteem as well mm-hmm. yeah so that's pretty powerful and i think they're also uh you know direct because this is the first time the demon is talked about but we go a little further and we're gonna springboard into that but i think they're you know kind of addressing the viewer like get ready and look at yourself um what do you feel like we're we do know we're about to challenge you in a scene that's coming up. So let's get you thinking about that now, <laughs> you know, the brilliance, mm-hmm. the brilliance of this creation energy that they got going on here. So right after that conversation, they flash to the, I call it the demon wrestling match <laughs> with Lito, Daniela, Hernando. Well, there definitely could be a demon in that scene and it's not a wrestler. At the end, yeah. at the end, but but the wrestler, the wrestler who we figured out is the Boganator. Yeah, is that is that was that right? I, I could not figure that out. We, we think so. That. Yeah, well, that's his name. I think they announce him as the Boganator or something. Um, but we didn't do a clip for this because we had to work really hard to hear with the loudness of the wrestling. That how profound. Another one of those times where. These huge gems are right here, and you, 
You could just overlook them. Right. Well, there's the the loudness of the crowd. Right. So they're creating that atmosphere. It's really hard to hear Hernando, at least on our television set, because it's so oh, that's loud. That's true. Everyone. And he has an accent. For us. For well, us. Right. But he's also. Centrism, but yeah. Right. So it was, it was, it's challenging when I hear, like, even Lido in the car. And sometimes I'm like, what did he say? You know, right. like, I have to rewind a lot so it was hard but it's a beautiful scene and it slipped by me the first time i watched this that's for sure do you want to read it sure this is hernando um the do you say the baganator he is a symbol of the devil in our lives for some people he represents the government a caste system any form of suppression for for most of us he is the fear we are afraid to face. This is the dance. This is a dance that is also a fight, as they're watching wrestling. Yeah, and this is flashing back and forth. These lines are coming in between right. a wrestling chaos. <laughs> the struggle that takes place in the ring is a reflection of the struggle that takes place in our minds and in our hearts. At some point, we all encounter our own Baganator. It was as if we were afraid of that thing that stops us from bringing that thing we know we can become. If we do not defeat him, we will never know peace. And I think that this is so powerful to um, to move from the scene with Kala and Wolfgang where we're talking about exterior demons, sort of, and... Um, God's bringing us demons and challenging us, and it's outside of us, to Hernando going right in and saying, you know, that's just a dance for what's inside of you, and right. you always have to look at what's inside of you. And um, I don't know, I just saw yesterday, I saw A Wrinkle in Time, amazing movie, um, but they do that. They talk about the darkness there, is really a representation of what's inside of you, and you have to go deep into it and find self-love to dissolve it. I think that's almost exactly the message that Hernando sums up in six lines. <laughs> you know? Yep. Very uh, thematic. Yeah. So we've got the demon of the show as Wolfgang is a demon because he's sexy. <laughs> and, and he's then, German, right? I mean, <laughs> obviously. That's where all the gods send demons from, Germany. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> and then now we've got Hernando giving us more of an understanding of it from our internal representation. And then they kind of, the other theme that goes through. The yeah, I, I have one more thing about that scene, actually. Um, now that we're talking about it again, the wrestling scene with, I really think this is, I kind of see this in some of the clips, but I really feel like Daniela is falling in love for both of them. And vice versa. Like they do really, they really have a three-way relationship. Oh yeah, they do right from the and start. And so, I think. yeah, yeah, and that's what they showed in the the clips of the the very end of the last show is when it was they were talking about companionship, and they show all three of those on the those three people on the couch, and they're just enjoying themselves, and there is something going on that's transcending the physical, and so I think here too, Daniela's through Lido's eyes. Mm -hmm. is starting to appreciate Hernando even more, mm -hmm. in my opinion. So I, it was just this subtle thing that I caught. 
Yeah, I think um, it's a good representation that not all relationships have to be between just two people. Like that's yeah. a societal um, presentation of what relationships should be. Certainly a parent is capable of loving two children or seven. <laughs> I don't know how you do seven. <laughs> I'm sure Very you do. Very carefully, right? Um, Lots of vodka maybe? I don't know. Just kidding. <laughs> But yeah, I think it's a beautiful another. There's just so many examples of love beyond our traditional forms yeah. in here. And and truly love is definitely growing between all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, this is something I noticed. Yeah. So from there, the other thing that we've noticed, it kind of takes it. So we went from the sexual demon outside of you or desire gluttony what are those those ultimate sins i don't know but lust lust is in there yeah you go from that to the internal expression of a demon inside of us and needing to face it to then and this is woven throughout it but if we look at the layers of the title of the show um we've got humanizing the bad guys going on here and the only way we can have war and all of these, um, I don't know, so much of the the misconduct or the uck, ugg, and our the yuck, the bleh, the, yeah, and our society has to do with demonizing. Like you have to demonize another person. That's even what so many of the the movies and shows, right? Bad guy, good guy, mm-hmm. good guy overcomes the bad guy. Like, uh, can we get done with that now? And they're showing that here because they they kind of start to look um, at the layers of the bad guys. Because we're all human beings, just doing the best we can. Yeah. They're just catching up to our analysis from Jonas. But that's because we got to go ahead and see what happens with Jonas. <laughs> I always got to give him a shout out. All right, so... Uh, the first place we see that sort of layers is um, when Kala goes to talk to Raja. And uh, this is a kind of layered um, scene in mm-hmm. itself because she's looking at her own demons because she's like thinking he's going to, she's thinking, well, if that happened to me, I'd just back out of this. <laughs> Maybe even wishing that that had been the other way around so she had a reason to back out. Right, she totally projected that she hates him and he didn't pay attention to that, (laughs) neither did she. Mm -hmm. But even before that, you know, he's giving honor to his her father's food, which is interesting because in the past, his dad has not done that, not respected him in the same way that then Kala says her grandmother didn't. So she says it's a recipe from my grandmother and Raja's all um, poetic and like mm-hmm. how we pass things down through recipes and DNA, which is true, very cool line. Um, and then Kala's like, well, she was really mean to my dad. You know, she never honored him. She told him that she was a bad cook. So the story that's been passed down is her dad's pain, right, of about mm-hmm. his mom not treating him well. And Raja says he has compassion for the grandmother and says how hard it would be for her, for a woman in that time to have any respect and to get, you know, to have her, her son be getting all this attention for cooking in a way that 
she did all the time right. would have been hurtful. And so, yeah. you know, it kind of shifts Kala's perception right there in two ways, I think. It shifts her perception of the story that's been passed down about her grandmother. And now she's seeing the compassion for her grandmother and relating to her in a new level in an instant. But it's also shifting her perception of him because she's not resonating with him. She's been told he's the bad guy in the community. And she was, I think, starting to move him. She just says that in the next line. I would hate you. I would think this, you know. And she, she's kind of starting to move him in the bad guy category and and step away from this. And then he's like so honoring of women and 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 so understanding and deep and compassionate. And she can't hold him in that space either. So it kind of breaks down. How can I be mad at you for being <laughs> awesome right now? <laughs> okay, and Why are you mad at me? I ruined your $30 billion wedding. <laughs> From son's drug. Right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Kyle is definitely having her boundaries um, stripped, not from the cluster in this way, but the little boxes that kept her feeling safe. Good guy, bad guy, devil, goddess, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I like what Raja brings up about our parents. You know, they're really doing the best they could have done. Yeah. And it's our job to forgive them. Which is really powerful. Yeah. Uh, And I mean, the parent themes parent-child theme is a huge part of this. And um, like we were talking with Maximilian, the generations growing and and moving past the storyline of the parents behind them, you know, is really powerful to our evolution. It is very powerful. And what Max said, I totally agree with about the balance. Mm-hmm. Right? That's something that we, we haven't seen in generationalism, <laughs> uh, where the older generation always bitches and complains about the new generation and the new generation always rebels. Like it's, it's as old as the hero's journey. But what we need to do is take the wisdom of the old with the, with the new ideas of the young people who have to solve all these problems that the the generations before us didn't solve. And we have new problems to deal with in this age um, that have never been dealt with before or even thought of. And we need to take their wisdom along with our new ideas on how to solve, like together and balance and harmony, not versus each other. Us versus them does not work out in any situation whatsoever, like for the good of humanity or a family or a couple. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then a, a really wise woman in my life once said, people do the best they can. If they could do better, they would do better. And when they can do better, they will do better. And I thought that was epic. Such a good um, quote. I was very jealous that I didn't come up with this myself, actually. <laughs> it's one of those ones. I was like, oh, man, I could have said that. That's so <laughs> awesome. So, But that was Sheila who said that. And it's talking about our, our, the belief systems that we have dictate our model of the world and our behavior and you know we only know what we know and the generations before us might not have been privy to the things that we are and it's upon us to you know take that torch and and teach our children and those around us uh, a healthier way of life 
Yeah, so thank you for the shout out. You're welcome. And um but to keep going with that idea that you your people are doing the best that they can and they'll do better than they will. When they can, they will. When they can, they will. <laughs> um we look at Silas and we mm-hmm. get that layer too, right? Cuz he's represented as the bad guy. Um, you know, I mean, he's the big drug lord. We start out seeing him where we think Caffius is going to be killed. Then he sets this up where he gives him coconuts in a bag and beats him up to see if he can get it there. And But he's given the drugs, but he's manipulating him. It's very yucky. You know, so we, we kind of like put him in a category. Mm-hmm. That's a bad guy. Right. And then we get this scene in this one where he's in his beautiful, calm, home estate. Kind of extreme, but is there with his daughter who just adores him and is making a sandcastle and he's just a person. And he he says to Capius, my daughter does not see me as someone to fear. She sees me only as Papa. She is the most important thing in the world for me. Everything I do, I do for her. Without her in my life, there is no meaning. And then he follows that with a threat. <laughs> right. So this, yeah, go ahead. If something happens to her, neither will yours. <laughs> so that's the layers right in one sentence, right? right? Like he's his I good really, dad. I, I am a good dad, but I'll, I'll, I'll cut some, I'll cut some bitches. <laughs> Maybe put some bullets in their head. I don't know. But that's, uh, that's the thing too, is because, uh, you know, it's like Wolfgang and Max. They're they inherited being gangsters. I think mm-hmm. they don't really show that in the film so much, but they're yeah. a family of mobsters, and that's they're just a product of their environment, so to speak. Um, and I think he probably we all are, and to a degree, and this person is too. And he just happened to become a badass drug lord to build that really nice house and and have his family and stuff. So. And then we find out what he's going to have Caffius do, and it really is for his daughter. And right. so the correlation between, I know you're going to want to save your mom, and you'll do anything for her, and I'm going to use that because I'd do anything for my daughter. She has leukemia, and I need the stem cell treatment. And because of what I do, I can't trust anyone else with her, you know, because now... He's protecting her, and yet he's the reason. Well, there's two reasons. Leukemia, which is just nature, and then his behavior are what puts a threat on her. And then he has to protect her more. So it's just this. It's a, it's a, it's a bad cycle. loop. So parents will do bad things, air quotes, bad things. They'll do what they need to do to take care of the family, whether and that's the best thing they can do. And in my life... My mom couldn't, she she was a very sick woman. She had multiple personality disorder, bipolar disorder, and she was paranoid, schizophrenic, among other things. And I was a kid. I grew up with the stuff. I didn't know any better. And when I examined my life after she was gone, I noticed that she did the best she could for her children And the best she could do was marry an abusive man Mm -hmm. and put all of her kids in an abusive home. But her kids had a home. Mm -hmm. They had food. 
you know, she did what she could do given her situation. So it, it, uh, there was, there's three of us that had to live through the, the, the wake of that experience, but we're all pretty good now. Um, but it's not like, you know, there was a lot of trauma that was caused, but she was only doing the best she could do. And I couldn't look at that and say that in earnest and really have love and compassion for her until much later in my life. Yeah. And I think that happens so many times, even sometimes parents being harsh to their kids. And, and I've heard people straight out say it, if they come from difficult lives, life is hard. So I'm gonna, I'm going to tease them at home. I'm going to toughen them up so that they're ready for the world. So even some of that, um, like how can a parent or someone do that to a child actually comes from a space of the best I can. I think the world is scary. It would be better for you to learn this from me so that when you go out there, you're safe. Yep. It's, it's pretty layered. It is. Yeah. And they really show that with these um, scenes here. Mm-hmm. And um, when we go even further, when Silas's daughter there, um, and Van, now I want to call him Van, Van Dam. I know it kind of starts to bounce, <laughs> but when Caffius and they're watching Van Dam and they're talking about it, and he's like, I really like him, you know. He's probably thinking in his, in his his head, let's teach her about good guys because she, you know, and make her make her turn into a good guy. I don't know what he's thinking, but you know, he's showing her this. And she's like, I like him. And I, you know, he smiles. She's like, I like Jean-Claude. And he smiles like, Oh, I got her to like the good guy. And then she says, Um, my dad is like Jean-Claude. And Gabby's <laughs> like, What? <laughs> and he says, he want Jean-Claude wants to do the same thing my dad wants to do. And like, he's like, what do you Make the world a better place, right? Or, yeah, make, or he, and she says that bad guys or bad people are trying to come for us and he protects us. He has to protect me from the bad guys or something like that. So who is the bad guy? You know, the bad guy, that's like in, in our world right now, who's the terrorist? It's the person that we can decide demonize. For some reason, we can make them outside of ourselves and give them a title. I think... The bad guy is now replaced with the terrorist and someone we can make a demon outside of ourselves gets that label. Because if you start watching events that happen, um, some, you know, the same type of event can happen. And depending on who the perpetrator is, it will be called a terrorist or not. Right. Well, we have to demonize people to attack them because when we start demonizing and we start labeling people as something outside of ourselves, then it's okay. It's okay to go attack them, but then it's also okay not to look within. Yeah, so when we start to see that the demons aren't outside of ourselves and that the good guys and the bad guys are more layered and humanized than we like to think, then this gets real, and war doesn't have power anymore. And that's very frightening to the man. It is. (laughs) Which could be, I'm going down, I'm going to create a conspiracy theory here. That could be why Sensei is not getting all its seasons. I can see a website going up. (laughs) Send it to us, whoever's making this conspiracy theory (laughs) website about Sensei. I want to see it. But it is, you know, we've seen this across the board, and, and we're seeing it in the show, but we see it in our lives. And this is about Live Sensei. We have to realize that the story of the bad guy 
and dehumanizing the bad guy is what keeps the violence going. And we're being shown every time we're shown a story where those lines are blurred and layered and we see both sides of someone, it starts to reprogram us and help us to evolve to a different state of consciousness. To expand our our identity of self to include another. Yes. To be a me and also a we. All right, so now we have Lido getting an interview. Yeah, and so this is kind of transcending the... um, This is interesting because this scene, we have him having an interview at the same time that Sun... And he's linked up to Sun, and Sun is getting her intake interview type of thing. And um, so they're both in similar situations, and Sun is being treated very poorly. Like the the person intaking her sees her as the bad guy, and is then we see him as a bad guy because he's treating our beautiful Sun this way, and he doesn't see it. And then we've so we kind of keep that theme going. And then Leto kind of breaks it in the moment. Um, he's mixed up and kind of holding himself. Well, what I really, we talked about this before the podcast, and what I liked that you saw out of this scene is Leto was feeling just as violated mm-hmm. by the interviewer's questions as Sun was with the questions that was processing her from the person that was processing her into the prison. Yeah, because it bounces. And so he's over by, he's perceiving himself as son when he, when she gets asked if he's, she's ever been tested for HIV. So his deepest secret, right? His demon is that keeping his sexual, sexual orientation hidden because he thinks that it would interrupt his career. And so he maybe doesn't does some not so nice things to protect that secret. And then we've got the, the being interviewed, that fear of that um, probably happened every time he was interviewed. Yeah. The fear of being exposed. And then, you know, she's being asked about the HIV. He feels like he is, he responds to that. And then, uh, and then that mirror, like the guy's going to look at her. (laughs) Vagina. I'm trying to think, is there a word you're supposed to use on the yeah, podcast? Vagina. <laughs> That's the word. <laughs> um, well, he's going to look at her and, and obviously Lito's dress, it's not going to be the same impact, but he's feeling equally as vulnerable there. But Lito probably feels that every time he's interviewing, if you think about going into an interview like that with a secret that you're constantly trying to mm-hmm. protect and his fear has been rising. So that's interesting. And I also um, I have to say I have a little compassion for him because he's like in public. He's keeping a public persona and the gifts, uh, the gifts <laughs> of connection are putting him over the top. And I've been there because sometimes the energetic connection makes it hard to function or or to be presentable. You know, if you kind of go too far, it's like a little bit like, ah, you may even look drunk or something when you're not. <laughs> and uh, so that trying to keep the persona and all together as a professional, when your gifts are kind of heightened, the energy is really high and you're kind of groggy, you're out there. Well, sometimes those experiences kind of 
demand more of your attention than you can give the people in your physical space. And so that creates the, yeah, uh, that's... Uh, uh, where am I at? What am I doing? This is, and everybody else is kind of awkward around you too. Right. Because you're not paying attention. Yeah. Cause it really is. Like I said, we teach people to, you know, ADD where you consciously pay attention to more than one thing at a time. But if the thing that isn't in front of your face, if the physical is demanding more attention, which in that case it was, um, it's difficult to keep focused in, in what's happening in the physical in a very gentle way. <laughs> I remember driving with my kids and they clearly had asked me a question. And, um, but a lot of times when I'm driving, I kind of go up into my higher consciousness and I, I turn to them and I knew, and, and I got there to the question, to the answer, but there's this delay and it may only be a few seconds, but I, I remember saying to them, you have to understand that if my attention is up in those higher planes, I'm hearing you. But once you ask a question, I have to say to myself, oh, you know, they're speaking, they're asking you a question, get back down into the present time, bring your attention down. And then I hear the question, and then I can answer it. But there's this whole delay going on when you have to share your attention. You need to upgrade your internet speed. Yeah. Well, I, I have. They were younger I when that happened. I think I have. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, sometimes yeah. it gets a little goofy. Like we had a friend after one of our energy um, <laughs> workshops, Fractal Illumination. It's <laughs> a good example. She it was is. all she was all feeling the energy from Fractal Illumination. And we went out to dinner. And, and we had a good dinner. It was fun. We had a good dinner. <laughs> And I put a hundred dollar bill down because I was going to cover the whole dinner, and uh, and she looked at it and she goes, "Is that a two hundred dollar bill?" And for those of you not in the states, we don't have two hundred dollar bills, <laughs> and she was so out of it that yeah. she and but she realized she was and she was like. I know there's no two hundred dollar bills. Almost, it took a few like yeah, and then like there was few, like a pause, and it's like, oh yeah, there's no two hundred dollar bill. But then she kept saying, like a few minutes later, she's yeah. like, I know, and she's coming more and more back. I know there's no two hundred. We weren't jazzing. We understood. We were just as high. Like it was fun. It was but a I good so, time. right, so yeah. I can understand how he's feeling in that. We've been there. Right. We've been there, Lido. We feel it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, there's there's all that, but. On top of that, this this whole concept of privacy, do I have any of it? Right, exactly. Right? And they're both being violated, one physically, mm-hmm. and the other one just with questions. And that's what I like, and we'll get into this over the podcast more, but they're really exploring how many different ways we can be violated as human beings. Right, right, that's true. And then they're learning, can I control my you know, can I focus here? Can mm-hmm. I get this next question? <laughs> you know, can right. I pull away enough? Can I get through this? Yeah. It's a pretty, oh, this is so good. I it is. This. I love this show. So Lido then gets asked, you know, he, he's this, he's been trying to protect himself as this, you know. Um, Steamy romance. I belong on a romance novel cover kind of guy. <laughs> right. And a playboy. Right. And he thinks his career is based on women having crushes on him, basically, mm-hmm. on that reputation. And and so the question is, you know, you have all those steamy love scenes. What makes a good what's lover? Your <laughs> yeah, yeah, what's your secret to yeah. being a good lover, right? So I think, right? And yeah. then, of course, he's thinking of Hernando, and he says, 
You have to be selfless. The pleasure of your lover must become your own, but at the same time you must also remain selfish because wanting someone so much that it feels the same as the need to eat, to breathe, that this is where desire becomes love. I guess. <laughs> I guess. Did you get that? All right, great. <laughs> yeah. I got, I'm out of here. <laughs> He's like all proud. He's like, right. I made it back from that. <laughs> Such an that awkward prison. moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was feeling awkward. He did a good job. He redeemed himself. He redeemed himself through that one. He really faced his demon. He was afraid of those questions, and he was able to draw on his truth right. to answer that. Yeah. Whenever they draw on their truth in this show, they have some really good answers. Imagine that. Weird. Right. Huh. Maybe there's a message there. <laughs> Maybe there is. <laughs> but I was thinking when I just read that a little bit, too, uh, I like that selfless and selfish. I'm I'm an, a strong advocate that part of being selfless is being selfish. Like we really do do a lot for ourselves, and if we aren't showing up with that, um, well, what he's really talking about is the meanest. He actually is saying exactly the same thing. Can I have the meanest and the weenest at the same time? Sounds weird. Those are dashes. <laughs> Me-ness and we-ness. But it's can I be in oneness, right? Like that's because really making love is that union. And, and that's frightening to people. That's also part of why we suppress it in the world is because when you really surrender into that and you become one with your lover, you are losing yourself. So he's saying, he's telling not just about sex. He's teaching everyone in a sense about how do you deal with horizontal oneness? How do you allow yourself to be more than you are and also to retain your identity yourself and the importance of that, the beauty of that and that that's true love. It is a beautiful thing because we do, we have to be ourselves, right? We, you, you teach about the ego a lot, Sheila, and I know our listeners, some of them have heard it, some of them not, but you Without that desire for self-fulfillment, there is no unity. Right. We wouldn't do anything. I can tell you this. If the WJs, Ws and J, <laughs> if those three did not have ego, evolved awesome ego, we wouldn't have this show. If the actors didn't have ego, we wouldn't have this show. Like wouldn't be written it wouldn't a story wouldn't be told it you know you have to keep the meanness right it's just it's a it's it's a, the level of consciousness we go about having our mean our meanness right so the the writers and the actors and the the producers and the cameramen everybody who is on there had the desire to be their highest expression of that character or that part right in filming this show or writing this show. And they see the value in who they are. So they're in this hole. And we're hearing that more and more about what an incredible experience it was, the fluidity, the union, the um, unity consciousness of everybody involved in the show and being impacted by that. Um, and but within that, every person has to first of all, believe that the show is worth putting out there in the world to sacrifice 
themselves and their individual desires in the moment, maybe sleep or something. Yeah, these projects aren't easy to do. Right. So they're, they're, there's a desire for the project, and then there's also themselves feeling like they're valuable, or they could just go home and sleep and somebody else could do it, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. So um, that just so far goes beyond um, making love. Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> Let's call, it, let's call it making life. Yeah. <laughs> but then let's go springboard off of that into the vibrational sensei orgy um, scene where they are all doing that, right? They're all, there's, and maybe this is a kind of turning point where they're, they're experiencing their individual, they're representing that, what he just spoke about. As we have the individuals and they flash on individuals, um, well, my favorite part about this orgy scene isn't like eight hot people having sex on the screen per se. Right. My 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 uh, my favorite part is that they really blend in the the idea. So we have this idea of privacy. Do mm-hmm. we have any privacy? And we have like quick shots of part of the eight having sex with one of the eight's partners. Yeah. And that was that's mind blowing an experience because not only are you open to having sex with somebody in your cluster per se, you're having sex with their partner too. And you're 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 giving that expression of love to somebody even outside of your own cluster. Right. And let's remember that in this one, none of the sensei are physically having sex with each other. That's all spiritual, vibrational, emotional sex happening. Right. Just creation to... energy, not attached to any philosophy about relationships or monogamy or anything like that. They're just experiencing. For example, so it is Nomi and Neats, I believe. They're and, kissing and, at least. They, yeah, they could they're, be having work they're doing something. And Lido and Hernando. Yeah. But you see Nomi kiss Hernando. Mm hmm. And she's a lesbian, mm-hmm. right? So that's that whole that just blows out this whole concept of uh, gender and sexuality and boundaries. And when you're mixing not only outside to somebody else's partner, but outside of your own sexual comfort zone or uh, what you're attracted to, right? Which I think they're already showing us a little bit through the triad of Hernando and Daniela and. Um, Lido by showing us that it's a spectrum, you know, we don't have to even put ourselves in those categories, like, by nature, that this is sexual orientation is a spectrum, it's not a place, right? But beyond that, we've got that's pure creation energy, it is um, springboarded, or um, maybe triggered by Nomi and Lido, both with their own loving partners. And I mean, Outside of the cluster, the relationships are so loving and healthy and evolved, too. You know, so we've got that. I think Daniela even gets into the mix in this. She's watching in the real life, but then I think she's into that mix. We've got Wolfgang in the water again, which is, again, a conduit of the fluidity of um, creativity. uh, And then... Yeah, I love that it it's experiencing it on many levels. And Kala gives herself over to that. And she hasn't physically been with anyone and and maybe hasn't felt that attraction to it. But I think you mentioned Deme. 
demisexuality or demisexual? Yeah. Demisexual is someone who's attracted just by the vibration, the emotion. A it's deep, a, motion, a deep, emotional attachment. Yeah. That would be the only thing that would stimulate them, and and would uh, wouldn't matter who what the physical sex of the person was. I think that's our natural state. To me, that would be what I would assume would be our natural state if society didn't teach us something different than, you know, I think Ellen DeGeneres said that too when she first um, talked about Portia like years and years ago. Or no, maybe it was Portia who said that, I think, about Ellen, that she would have loved her in any form, you know, whatever yeah. her body looked like. She fell in love with her soul. Yeah, there. Are, I think that is definitely part of our expression of being human, that there are people who are just attracted to people or souls and not a body. And I think when we look at the younger generation, I hear more people exploring. I mean, and thank you to the other generations who have opened up that possibility and spread our consciousness and shows like this, because more people are exploring that possibility. They may label themselves younger as one or the other or by, but really what they're doing is saying, wait, you know, maybe, maybe there's something more. They're exploring the spectrum of who they're attracted to. And the, the next layer of consciousness with that is to feel that soul connection first and that emotional connection first, and then express it to the physical. And that's what they're doing here in this scene. So to me, um, you know, I know some people have been a little bit put off by all the sexual reflection in this. And somebody even said to me it was gratuitous sex. And I was like, what do you mean? Like everything in there has a purpose. Like it, it's so much more important than like Game of Thrones. Not that that, you know, not that someone who said that would like Game of Thrones or whatever, but there's so many other shows where it's put in there just for ratings or whatever. This is put in here for purpose to tell us a beautiful story. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, sexuality is definitely the huge spectrum of sexuality and orientations and and things for sure. Like we don't um, Lido, Hernando, and Daniela potentially could be expressing polyamorous being polyamorous where you can love more than one person at a time yeah and i think they um i mean way back there in the scene where they wake up the next morning and she's like oh did i overstep my boundary and he's like oh not that part of last night right they they make it clear that that's involved and even in this she's watching them they're not hiding from her yeah they're opening up to um just not limited. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So another powerful show. Yes. Yes, it was. So that'll be a wrap. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for all your support on social media. If you want to contact us, please hit us up on the Twitter at live underscore sense eight. You can also email us at team at live sense com. And if you've enjoyed the show and you listen, please pick up some exclusive perks over on patreon.com slash livesense8 and support the show. Thank you very much, everyone. 